I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 97. And you know what? It is a great time to be alive because Reese's eggs are out. And so are Cadbury eggs. Those dang Cadbury eggs are so good. We might have had some. Only one each. And a Reese's egg. I mean, why you got to put us on blast? (laughs) Donna goes to the damn dollar store for Powerade and dishwasher detergent. And she comes out with damn Cadbury eggs, Reese's eggs, and about 75 different boxes for wrapping Christmas presents next year. They're 25 cents each, people. Like, the assorted pack, 25 cents each. By the time y'all hear this, they're going to be gone. I'm sorry. I came to your town and I bought them all. <laughs> you know who else knows a good deal when they see it? Jessica S. from Illinois. Crystal K. from Virginia. Or, as my dad would say, Virginia. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, he also calls me Terry, and we've been friends for 20 years. Elia C. from Oregon. Morgan A. from Ontario, Canada. Meg L. from Wyoming. And Sandy R. from Kansas. They bebop their way over to www.patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. And now they're getting all the bonus content. Stickers, a little love note. Some even discount on merch. Mm-hmm. Some bloopers. Oh, the bloopers. Okay, I do have one movie review, you know, because I finally watched a movie, guys. Yay! <laughs> and I watched The Joker. Without me, but whatever. Go ahead. Y'all, that's one of those movies that fucking stays with you, like, all day. I wouldn't know because I didn't watch it because I was not invited. I I legitimately thought about that movie all freaking day. I can see why there's such a thing about the people who play that character. Because let's be honest, the only two I've seen is the Heath Ledger one and this one. Not surprising. The Joker was so dark, but so good. I wouldn't know because I haven't seen it. I can't see any light from all this shade. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking salty AF over here. (laughs) Call me a fucking Lay's potato chip. I'm only salty because I wanted to see the Joker in the theaters. And no one wanted to go with me. But now someone wanted to see it. Without me. Bitter party of one. Why am I always single? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay, but for real, you know something else that stayed with me? What? This fucking story I'm about to do. Oh, gosh. I don't know if I want you to share this with me then. Y'all, I usually work on my story during my lunch break, and I had to stop working on this a little bit. Maybe it's just me. We'll see. Picture it. May 1901. We're heading over to Paris. I love Paris. All the times that you've been. All of them. (laughs) Y'all, it's my goal to go to France this year. It's been on your bucket list, but like all of a sudden you're like, this year, I got to do it this year. 2020, going. Yes, because I want to go from sophisticated on my wine to sophisticated before I go to France. But I also have stuff on my fuck it list. I need to check off. Those boxes need to be ticked. One in particular. The attorney general gets a letter. And he's like, "Uh, is this real? Like, are we sure this is real? Because this is what the letter said. Forward this to seven people or you'll have bad luck for a year. 
if you don't share this, do you really love Jesus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you ashamed? <laughs> it said, Monsoor Attorney General, I have the honor to inform you of an exceptionally serious occurrence. I speak of a spinster who is locked up in Madame Monnier's house, half-starved, living on a putrid litter for the past 25 years. In a word, in her own filth. What? Uh-huh. So What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Attorney General is like, is this real? Is this not real? Well, why they gotta throw shade and put her as a spinster? Fuck. Legit, that was my takeaway from that, too. Not all the things. <laughs> like, why does that have to be who she is? Like, fuck. Obviously, she's being held against her will. She's not like, ooh, I love to be in my filth. She's not a fucking raccoon. Well, <laughs> y'all, Donna is so obsessed with raccoons right now. I really am. There's this raccoon that she follows. I don't follow, but I am. And I want him. His name is Rocky. She doesn't follow him, but she is. Is literally what she just said. I don't follow him yet. <laughs> I just see daily updates. <laughs> <laughs> you said yet. <laughs> I haven't clicked the button. I haven't ticked the fucking box. <laughs> the attorney general decides... We have to investigate, because what if it's true? So the police get to the Monnier estate, and they know that the madame of the house is like 75 years old, and her son, Marcel, lives there too. And he's like middle-aged. They also know that the Moniers had a daughter named Blanche, who just vanished. Dun, dun, dun. The police get there, they knock on the door, and no one answers. So they try a couple more times, and then they decided, look, we got to break down the door. We got, we have to investigate this. So they break the door down, and they go in, and they're looking around, and, you know, this has to be going through the back of their heads, because they know that Madame Monnier is a socialite. In Paris, very like high society, really involved in charities. She's gotten awards in the community for volunteering and all these things. And Marcel is a well-respected attorney in Paris. They're just this kind of well-to-do family that, that that has to be in the back of the minds of the police officers who are investigating this. And I'm sure if, because back then it had to be at least like it is now, you know, when you have high society and they're the ones who are donating to all the causes, they don't want to piss them off. Exactly. Yep. But they do their due diligence and they're inside the house investigating. They're looking around and they don't really see anything. So they start heading upstairs and then they start to smell something. When they get up closer to the attic, they see that there's a door that has been padlocked. And so they're like... Mm, this can't be good. And so they break the locks. And when they open the door, the room is pitch black. There's one window, but the window has been closed with shutters. And then also has this really thick curtain over it that has made the room 
completely black. And the police officers are so overwhelmed that they can't even go all the way in the room because they're throwing up. Oh my goodness. So finally, one of the officers makes it in and opens the window. He has to break it open. And when he does, it allows the sunlight to come through. And what they saw was basically a shell of a human being. Oh my goodness. And the thing is, is that even once they saw that there was somebody in that room, the police were so overwhelmed with the smell that they couldn't even stay in there. They had to keep leaving and coming back because the smell was too much. And what they found was a woman who was so emaciated that she was 55 pounds. 55 pounds? Mm-hmm. Hell, Marley's 40-something. Uh-huh. Uh, that means Bo weighs more than this human being. This human being. Wow. That's not a child. Basically, to sum it up, they found Blanche. They found the Monnier's daughter. When they opened that curtain and saw Blanche, that was the first time that Blanche had seen sunlight in over two decades. Oh my gosh. What the hell? Blanche was completely naked. She was chained to her bed. She had not been out of that bed in over 20 years. What the Grandpa Joe is going on here? Yeah, except nobody was coming and cleaning her up. Fuck. And the thing is, she was laying on a straw mattress. What? Yeah. I mean, remember, it's 1901, so I'm sure that's not so uncommon, but fuck. Yeah. And the mattress was completely soaked with years of urine and feces. Mm. Years. Years of it. This is like stomach-turning alternate version of Cinderella. Yeah. I'm telling you, I had to take breaks. You know, when the police found her, they said that she was quite pleasant. And when they took her out of the room, she said how lovely it is that she was able to breathe fresh air again. Whoa. Too pure for this world. So Blanche, when she was confined to the room, was 25. And when they found her, she was 49 years old. Good gosh. Like I said, she weighed 55 pounds. 55 pounds. There were like little bits of like food or like dinner scraps that had literally formed a crust around her body. Ew. It said that what they would do, her mom, her brother, and some sort of maid, some stuff said servant. So I'm not really sure if it was like someone that was paid to work for them or someone that was made to. But they would occasionally come and just throw dinner scraps in the room for her. Like, throw them at her bed, basically. She's not the fucking geese. Well, a lot of the times, she didn't even get the scraps because the rats got to them first. Can you fucking imagine? No! No! I have no words. Mm -mm. And, you know, Blanche was pretty lucid. But from all that time up there in that dark room... Alone, 
it literally drove her insane. So picture all this time, the police are in and out trying to maintain composure, trying to help this person that they didn't even know who it was or anything. And they finally get her out to take her to the hospital. And the whole time they're doing this, her mom was just sitting in the family room like nothing ever happened. Not, oh, hey, you just found my daughter that's been locked in the fucking attic for 25 years. Like, what the hell? I don't understand. And her brother was just sitting, looking out the window like, oh, what a lovely day outside. So the police took them both to start questioning them. And it was through the questioning that they got an idea of what actually happened. So what happened was 25 years ago, before she was locked away in the attic, Blanche had fallen in love. Oh my gosh, bless it. But she fell in love with an older man, and he was an attorney, but he came, as one article said, from a rather poor name. So her mom said, there's no way in hell that you're marrying a poor, penniless attorney. You're not going to do it. Dang. Mm-hmm. And Blanche was like, uh, yeah, I am. I love him. There was some rumors happening about a potentially illegitimate child from an affair. And just from the rumors, and he's older and he doesn't have money. I really, honestly, I don't know if the older thing really was in a thing, but in my head it was. I think it was more that he, there were rumors and he didn't have any money. And her mom was like, you cannot see him. And Blanche was like, again, yeah, the fuck I am. So her mom and her brother were like, we have to put a stop to this. And so one night, her mother fucking lured Blanche up to the attic with who knows what. Hey, come help me look at this window. And when she got her up there, she closed the door and locked her in. And she told Blanche, when you're ready to stop seeing him, when you tell me that you will not see him again, you can come out of this room. And Blanche should have been a fucking Elwin because she dug her heels in. And she was not backing down. Well, I was about to quote Ever After, another you know Cinderella movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a prince and he says, I will not yield. Yeah, well. And then Da Vinci says, well, then you don't deserve her. Sorry, go ahead. So time went on, and Blanche would not back down. And so they kept her in there and fed her scraps. The food that they fed Blanche was so bad that she would throw it up, and the rats would come eat her vomit. Ew. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, also, thanks, but ew. Ugh. About, and this is me doing math, about 10 years into her time in the attic, the lover died. No. 10 years. And so then she spent 10 more years. Uh, 15 more years. 15. Well, I can't do math. One of the articles I read talked about, like, after her lover died, that she was left in there with only rats and lice for company. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's heartbreaking. How can you do that to your own child? Over something so, I mean, it's not insignificant, but, like, 
Fucking love is love, y'all. Yeah. You know, those are some fucking hard-headed people right there, too. That they, I mean, 25 years. And, I mean, at some point, Blanche lost it. I mean, she literally had a psychotic break because she was in a room void of any sensory input other than rats. Oh, God. And can you imagine what that did to her, not knowing where they were crawling or, no. you know? Mm-mm. No, because I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I know. Ooh. Literally, I'm itching all over. You know, there was a picture of her. Blanche was beautiful. Just this beautiful, young spinster. <laughs> <laughs> and when they found her, again, the only way I can describe it is that she was a shell of a human being. Holy fuck. She literally looks like she would be in a scary movie possessed by yes. a demon. Yes. Holy, holy. She's beautiful, wasn't she? She was beautiful. You know what she almost looks like? That one guy that you did, I don't know if it was for a bonus episode or for like a big a main episode. episode. Yeah. Where he was obsessed with that one girl. Uh-huh. And then he... He mummified her. her. Yeah, I think that was a main episode. That's what she kind of looked like. Just, you know, where you're like, what the hell? Yeah. So when they found her, took her to the hospital. So her mother was arrested the night that she was rescued. And not, like, basically right after she was arrested, she was transferred to the prison's infirmary. And they were like... Well, shit, she's got heart problems. But, I mean, her mom was like 75 years old. Her mom was in the infirmary for 15 days when she was pronounced dead. Wow. So her mom didn't even Mm -mm. have a trial, was never fucking punished. Wow. It was like all of the stress of it being found out fucked her heart up even more or something. You know, and she died 15 days later. It's like... You can't fucking die of a broken heart. Like, you don't... It's it's fucking not fair. No. It's fucking Ariel Castro all over. Yes. You are a piece of shit who cannot handle even a fraction of the torture that you've inflicted on other people. Yeah. Just the, the OT in me is thinking about just someone laying in a bed that long. The amount of bed sores but then for them to also be laying in their own urine and feces and the amount of skin breakdown that she probably had how she didn't die from a fucking infection i will never know well her brother marcel was arrested too because as an accomplice and he said look blanche was insane this whole time and based on when this was, you know, again, she was found in 1901. It wasn't uncommon for people when they had a family member that, quote, went insane, that they would just lock them up to keep them away from people because they felt it was so shameful. So that was his argument. Well, she's insane. So we just locked her away. And that's okay, right? Well, he went to trial. And when he was at trial, they had a bunch of witnesses that said that they would hear Blanche screaming. One witness said that she heard Blanche say, quote, What have I done to be locked up? I don't deserve this horrible torture. God must not exist then to let his creatures suffer in this way. And no one come to my rescue. Wow, that's heartbreaking. Well, the trial only lasted four days and they found him guilty. 
guess how long he got sentenced for? Mm, two months. Okay. Okay. Well, I was just going what would really piss me off. Two years. Close. 15 months. Yep. Not even a month for every fucking year she was in the attic. What the hell? I don't understand. Like, how does this happen? Oh, well, it gets worse. So he appealed and he won because they said that he had not acted violently towards his sister. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. So he went free. So what happened to Blanche? Because that's really the only thing that matters. They took her to the hospital, as we know. And they just thought for sure she was going to die. I mean, she she was so sensitive to the light because she had been in, again, this room void of all sensory input from light, sound, smell, taste, everything. And so even just a light hurt her. But she got better. She got good nutrition. She got the clean air. She got all the things that she needed. And physically... She got better, but she never came out of the psychosis that developed from being in the attic. She lived for 12 years after she was rescued, but she was never able to leave the psychiatric hospital. And she died in 1913, and we still don't know who wrote the letter. What the hell? It's like this poor girl. I mean, literally, she was driven mad. All because she loved someone that her hoity-toity, uppity mother did not approve of. Yeah. And that's so crazy. Like, and it's not that she didn't want her daughter to marry that guy. Like, it wasn't for her daughter's sake. It was for her sake. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And Because obviously, if she's like, lock her up and basically, you know, kill her slowly, Mm -hmm. it's... Oh, God. I just, you know, the whole locking up thing is is one thing. Terrible. Awful. But, I mean, God dang, feed her. Let her at least walk around the room. Give her a fucking, bu- I mean, Ariel Castro gave him a fucking bucket. Right. I just don't under, I, it just blew my mind. And the level of filth that she had to stay in for fucking 25 years Turned my stomach. I can't comprehend it. No. She was so emaciated. Like, she looked like a skeleton with skin over it. That's yeah. That's how thin she was. Mm. I was like, I hope your story was a little bit better than this one, because this one... There's no up to this one. This story is heavy, but not heavy in, like, the, like, toy box killer way. Right. It just fucking made my stomach hurt. Well... <sighs> Because we can all imagine, like, having, you know, like, hell, if I wear the same clothes during the weekend, if I'm just, like, being the ultimate sloth, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, got a chain. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and that's not dirty clothes. Yeah. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're still having normal hygiene yeah. when you use the bathroom. Yeah. And washing your hands and all the things. Yeah. Oh my god. I can't I can't think about it anymore. I'm gonna be honest. I can't I kinda can't think about it anymore. Oh god. Okay, well glad you went first and got that out of the way. I know. And I'm I'm glad that I went first this week, so I go second next week, so I have a little bit longer of a break because I just 
you know, sometimes the stories, they're too much, you know, like I love true crime and I will go to sleep every single night still watching the stuff. But sometimes it's just like, I need a couple of days, you know? Yeah. And I need a couple of days after this one. Well, hold on to your knickers. Picture it. Hinsdale, New York. All right. So I'm going to start out telling y'all the history before anything else. So there's this piece of land and it's like 1799. And there's a Native American massacre that happens on this land, allegedly. I know Carrie's looking at me like I'm already saying allegedly. Just want to throw that out there. Allegedly. Two sentences in. Cool. (laughs) It's going to be a good one. Then we're going to skip forward to 1853 and two brothers purchased the property, David and Charles Everts. So these brothers are, you know, um, terrible humans. Oh, Lord. Allegedly. Okay. (laughs) But they were like your people, the benders, the bloody benders. Yeah. Okay. So they basically had this like stagecoach stop. Yeah. Well, if they had like a nice piece of jewelry or anything that they're like a ring a ding ding, they got some money. Yeah. Uh, ding dong, they're dead then. Oh no. Yes. They would rob, kill them, and then bury them. And it was said to be either in the cellar of the house or in the hills behind the house. That they were buried? Uh huh. Okay. So add that to more lives taken on this land. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Another story is that on the property, there's this tree, and it's known as the hanging tree. Well, the hanging tree is basically what you're thinking. Yep. Where they hanged people. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Well, in particular, there was this lady named Elizabeth, and she was allegedly hanged sometime between 1865 and 1867. Should we just give a blanket allegedly? <laughs> Allegedly, yes. Okay. Allegedly. For the background, because, again, it's so long ago, and some of this shit is so stuff that they wouldn't have wanted out. and Yeah. Nobody was, like, keeping a good record of it. Yeah. Putting it on the internet and shit. Yeah. So, it was a little difficult, but, you know. But, okay. Well, she was of lower class, very poor, and so was the guy she was in love with. But they wanted to get married, went, got married. Well, to actually get the piece of paper that was, like, proved that they were married, it cost money, and they didn't have it. So it was like, well, I mean, we're married, but, like, we'll get that later, you know? Yeah. And then they didn't have rings because, again. Couldn't afford it. Yeah, like, foods were important. Well, he gets called away to war. And there she is by herself And she's pregnant now. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, of course, one person sees her and it's like the game of telephone before telephone was invented. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) What's that called? Gossip? (laughs) (laughs) Word of mouth? I don't know. Oh, God. (laughs) Letter writing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, they're like, uh, someone's not being very Christian-like. Oi. 
and, you know, all the shit that goes along with that. Well, she's like, look, I'm married, but I don't have a ring and I don't have the license and I don't have a husband because he's ever at war. Like, you know what I mean? All of these things. Yeah. They're, they're like, mm-hmm. Likely story. Right. Well, they hang her. <gasps> no. Yep. They hang her. Well, hubby gets back. He survives the war. And then he learns about her terrible fate. So her with this terrible, like, she was married. They were starting a life together. Even if she wasn't, who gives a fuck? Well, yeah, but you know. Don't be pushing your shit on me. (laughs) I mean, agreed. Okay. Just as long as you agree. (laughs) But this is back in the day, so. Either way, don't put your shit on me. So we know she was innocent. You know Tons of other people who were hanged at that tree were innocent, too. Well, that tree remained on the property for years, but it was struck by lightning, and so it's no longer standing there. And then we get to the 1960s, and there's a family who lives in this little farmhouse, and they did some remodeling, landscaping, all the things, and it seems like something was disturbed and released when they had dug a new pond on the property. Like, spirit-wise? Mm-hmm. Okay. But they didn't find, like, remains. No. That family didn't last long. And then in the early 1970s, the Dandy family moved in. Phil and Clara thought that they had finally found their dream home. Now this is starting to sound like, you know, my normal stories. Mm-hmm. But, of course, within days, it was a total nightmare. It started with, like, a faint chanting that would happen in the woods nearby and up in the mountains. But it lasted for, like, weeks. And they're like, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. You know? And then the phone would ring, but no one's on the other line. They would sometimes hear pounding noises Sometimes money or other little objects would be displaced or they would never find them again, you know. But all of those things were kind of like, it's an old house, so it's settling, you know, the whole, yeah. it's settling. And then I forgot where I put my keys or, you know, whatever. And we know they didn't have caller ID. So, you know, whoever was on the line, it could just be a prank call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then the lights would start going on and off by themselves. One time the kitchen stove turned on and off while they were preparing dinner. No. Mm-hmm. Then windows would be opened somehow. You know, like, who opened the window? Who's, you know what my parents would say? Quit trying to air condition the entire neighborhood. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, also, whatever's fucking doing that is doing some very unsafe things. I mean, a stove being on and opening the window so any person could just wander in Mm. or mosquitoes. Well, it's like, I can't kill you, but I can help whoever is going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Like, what's now? (laughs) Another thing, water faucets would turn on and off by themselves. One time, one of the children was like, uh, dad, I hear like this noise from the attic and it's like something or someone is being dragged. What? Mm-hmm. And so Mr. Dandy went, checked it out, 
And what it was was the chimney had been just dismantled. What? Yeah. And so it's like, what the fuck? What? In a chimney, like my chimney's brick. Mm-hmm. How they did that? Well, I don't know. Was it a brick chimney? Yes. Well, then shit started escalating, and they started seeing objects move by themselves. And then the whole family, and even some of their friends, started seeing apparitions. It was usually a woman in a white gown, so a lady in white. And they say about her being the pregnant lady that was hanged. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. But they would see these apparitions both inside and outside of the house, And one night, the whole family's inside in the living room, and they look at the window, and they see faces peering in at them. (gasps) And so, like, skirt. So, Mr. Dandy goes outside, you know, investigate, see what hooligans are outside. Well, the faces were now looking back at him from the inside. What? Yeah. And while this is going on, the lights are flickering on and off inside. And so it's like, uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, that's weird. Well, things kept getting worse. They started seeing really odd human-animal hybrid-looking creatures. And then some of them they believed to be of, like, demonic nature. Hmm. But wait, there's more. So the apparitions that they were seeing, those creatures, all of, all of the things, well, it started being able to physically do stuff. There'd be indentations on chairs and beds like, you know, someone had just sat on them, got up. Yeah. One time, one of the daughters was sitting there and one of those like hybrid creature things like jumped up on her lap. What? Mm-hmm. And, like, you could see, again, like, where it would be, Mm -hmm. but then it was gone. There were two family friends, and they actually caught one of the apparitions walking outside on film. What? Yeah, and it was in, like, the process of disappearing, but what they said it looked like was a Native American. Okay. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about the first time. And at that point, they did not know about any of that stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like, okay, check that off. You know, like, okay, we're supposed to have this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Like, no, they didn't know that. Well, then shit gets violent. There was a big family portrait in the living room. And one time there was a letter opener that was suspended in air over the picture pointing at one of their daughters. Uh Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. And so when they went to, like, get it to see, like, what the hell, mm-hmm. it just fell to the floor. Another time, same daughter, a lamp flew across the room and was, like, like it was being aimed at her. Yeah. But it did not hit her. Meanwhile, she's like, what the fuck did I do? Mm-hmm. Two of the children woke up one morning and had strange burn marks all over their bodies. I mean, it was, again, just... Now, being able to harm. Yeah. You know, it wasn't leaving the door open or the windows open or turning on the stove. It was directly harming them. Right. Then there was this one incident 
where the grandmother heard Randy, who was one of their sons, heard his car in the driveway. Randy Dandy? His name is Randy Dandy? I, look. <laughs> you know? Okay. Allegedly. Well, his name was probably Randall. Wasn't that just Dandy? <laughs> <laughs> She hears his car, Randy Dandy's car. (laughs) (laughs) My brain did not even put that together. (laughs) Falling down on my job. Well, she looks out the window, sees Randy and this blonde-haired woman, and then they just drive away. And so she's like, what? Okay. Like. Yeah. Okay, sure. However... Later on that day, she found out that Randy's car had been in the garage all day, and it was, like, not able to run. What? So, it wasn't him. But that's not even the weirdest part of this. A couple of days later, Randy was involved in a near-fatal car accident where the car went out of control and he hit a tree. While he was in the hospital, he was, you know, semi-conscious, He kept asking about a blonde woman. What? Uh Uh-huh. And everyone's like, "Mm, no, like no one else was in your car. It was just you. And he was like, no, she was there. Yeah. Kept going on about it. Here's another thing. There was evidence that there was a passenger because there was an indentation on the dashboard that looked like it would be like where her head hit. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, while they were having the car looked at, you know, because, again, it had, like, some weird malfunction. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's let's learn what happened. The mechanic could not find anything wrong, you know, that would cause that to happen. And, again, we don't know. Randy might have not been dandy and texting on his phone, even though it didn't exist. But, you know what I mean? Like, we mm-hmm. don't know. He may not have been telling the whole story. Right. But when he woke up and was fully awake and everything, he has complete amnesia about the accident. Wow. But it seems like Randy wasn't the only one who was experiencing amnesia. Mr. Dandy started to experience it, and he was unable to remember some of, like, the most terrifying events where, you know, the lamp's thrown and all of this stuff. He's like, I don't. No, what? You know? So they're like, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't take it anymore. They were like, this too much. Mm-hmm. Please say it. This too much. Yes. Love it. So they call up a local priest, Father Alphonsus. He was a priest from St. Bonaventure University. Well, he performed an exorcism right on the house and a cleansing he had family members there, researchers, and a film crew all there. Well, the paranormal activity came to a head, as it usually does. The lights were going on and off. There was banging all throughout the walls. And there was just that foreboding sense of just evil in every room of the house. But after the cleansing, everything was calm. For a few weeks. But then everything started happening again. And they eventually had to move out. 
So the total time that they lived in the house was July 1973 to October 1974. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's not very long at all. No. And honestly, after them, several families came and went just as quickly as they had arrived. Yeah. However, the house seemed to meet its match in 1986 when Florence and Joseph Misnick moved in. And they called themselves Flo and Joe. I mean, are they well, not perfect? fucking randy dandy. <laughs> they said that they have never been afraid of, like, a prospect of a ghost and, you know, all of the things. They said that the gawkers were more frightening than any ghost. Okay. I don't know what kind of gawkers they've got. Well, Flo was quoted saying, it's mostly human beings that's the problem. We call them rubberneckers. Oh, my shit. I was like, Flo, you, me, could be best friends. Okay, y'all know whenever you're going down the road and there's a wreck on the other side of the road, let's say an interstate or a freeway or whatever, and you're going, let's say northbound lane, and on the southbound lane, there's a wreck, and so it backs up your northbound lane because everybody's looking at the wreck. Donna calls that rubbernecking. Mm-hmm. Because... Your lane backs up because everybody's looking to see what happened on the other side. Yes. Well, and it's, you know, I mean, your neck, you are trying to turn it all the way around to figure out what the fuck's going on. That's when it's great to have a passenger to be like, I'm driving, figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. What you see over there. Mm hmm. But so word got out about the haunting with the dandies. Because there was a book written, which I'll get to later. So that's where the gawkers came in. Gotcha. They learned about it. So, of course, they want to go by and, you know, I mean, hello. That's what we would do for a local house here. I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. They said that they really didn't have a problem with the ghost. And Joe said that they had made an agreement with them. Like, they just straight up told the house, you leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. Mm -hmm. And Flo said that she laid down some ground rules. She said that she went to the middle of the kitchen and she said, you can stay here if you want, but I'm not leaving. Damn. They said when they purchased this house, the next place that they were going were their coffins. Oh, damn. Yeah, they were like, we're not moving. We're not doing this. So, like, come on, buckle up, buttercup. Show me what you got. Well, when they bought the house, they didn't know it was haunted. Joe went to register at the American Legion post. And when he gave them his new address, they were like, oh, shit, you live in that haunted house. Yeah. And so then, you know, he proceeds to learn all about what happened to the dandies and everything. And so he goes back, tells Joe. And again, like, that's when they were like, we're not leaving anywhere. We're, you know, because so they didn't buy it to be like, we ain't afraid of no ghosts. Right. But like when they were here, it was like, nah, bitch, we're here. This is our house. Yeah. Flo said that she has seen one ghost in the house. And it was a man in blue jeans and a plaid shirt with a rifle. And he was standing at the end of her bed. And it was Paul Bunyan. <laughs> he was looking for his ox. Well, she asked him, what are you doing here? And he responded that he didn't know. And then disappeared. Weird. And so, you know, again, she wasn't like threatened so, I mean, I mean, I would have shit myself. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it sounds like the spirit was just as confused as she was. Like, yeah. 
So they may just be all these lost souls that don't know what to do. Yeah. Well, they also said that they heard a phantom car in the driveway, much like the grandmother heard. They would hear the sound of a car motor, but when they looked, they wouldn't see anything. And then sometimes they said that they would have cigarette smoke throughout the house, but neither of them smoked. I wonder with the car thing, if you see, like, if you see someone in the car, it's like a premonition. I don't know. So, like, hearing it's one thing, but, like, if you see it and you see who's in it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Later, when people were comparing what the dandies went through and what Joe and Flo went through, they were like, you know, these were so few and far between, you know, whatever. What some of the experts said is that because they were elderly, Mm -hmm. they didn't have as much energy to disturb the spirits and or for the spirits to feed off of. Well, and they didn't have young kids. Exactly. So aside from just their energy alone, it's the added energy of children Mm -hmm. throughout the house. Yeah. I do want to say Joe passed away August 21st. 2010, and then Florence died two months later. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. Probably the hardest two months of her life. I know. Okay, so now we're up to the current owner. His name is Daniel Class, and he bought the property basically to save it from being destroyed. But when he bought it, it was in rough shape, full of black mold, terrible roof, You know, had to get everything ripped out, basically, down to the studs. Did he know it was haunted? Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's always been into the paranormal. Like, growing up, he had experiences and everything. And so, when he heard that this place was up for sale, he was like, hmm, I got to do it. So, all all of that is pretty normal for an old house. Like, you're buying it. It's been you know, vacant for a while, all of the things. But one thing that was weird is that there were tons, like thousands of honeybees that were all in one room upstairs. And it's the room where the dandy's daughter, Mary, lived. He had to get someone to come get him. He didn't want to kill him. Oh, yeah, because they're like fucking endangered. Yeah. And so, you know, he had to get the, but like, Tons of them. And it's like, what the hell? You know? Yeah. I feel like if it was like wasps, it wouldn't be as like, what? You know, because you're yeah. like, oh, there's a big old nest there, blah, blah, blah. But bees? Right? Well, he says that the bees won't stay away either. Like, I mean, obviously, he doesn't have like the infestation. Right. But it's always something like flies, bees, all of the things. And it's always in Mary's room. Hmm. And so he thinks that there could be like a portal in Mary's room. You know what he should get out? What show he should get on? <laughs> Portals to Hell. Mm-hmm. With Jack Osborne. Yeah. And what's her name? I thought you were going to make a joke about Dibbic Douche, but yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, I, no. I was being serious for once. <laughs> well, he didn't know it was going to be such a money pit, you know, when he got into it. Um... I mean, yes, it's an old house and all of the things, but, like, you know, having to relocate bees and, yeah. you know, all of the things. It's like, okay, all of the wiring has to be taken out. 
all of the duck work, you know, like all of the things. I mean, did he not watch HGTV? No, probably not. So what he does is that he will invite paranormal investigative teams and like they can make donations and whatnot. I think he also had like a Patreon thing going for a little bit and he does like live streams of mm-hmm. different rooms and everything. So you can see and like, you know, you can like, hey, I saw a black figure at 113 and you know, all of the yeah. all of that. So that's really cool. In an interview Daniel did, he said that when he first bought the house, his son, he started to see two child spirits. And Daniel didn't want to like say, no, you didn't mm-hmm. or anything. Because again, he had experiences when he was younger and, you know, like he probably wasn't as believed in all of the things. So, you know, he just let it, let it ride. Well, then he saw a young girl. So then he was like, okay, roll my sleeves up. Let me do some research. Well, he found that there were two young kids who died of cystic fibrosis and they were one of the families, you know, that owned the house. One of those, like, we only stayed a year kind of thing. Right. You know? Yeah. So he's like, okay, if this is them, what are they tied to here? So he searched over and over and over and just couldn't figure it out. Well, he had a little inkling and found this entrance to the attic that I feel like he didn't know was there or whatever. And I think it was kind of like, you know, the kind that you just kind of push up, like a ceiling tile looking thing. Yeah. And so when he pushed that up or opened the little latch, it made like a whoosh (gasps) kind of noise. So it's like, "Mm, weird. Not supposed to do that. Mm -mm. Well, then he said there were two pieces of wood up against the wall. Goes in. He's like, thank God I didn't fall through the ceiling or anything. Goes over, inspects the two pieces of wood, because, like, that how they were, you know, just, like, mm-hmm. just placed there, you know? Well, he turned them around, and there was a young boy painted on one of the pieces and a young girl painted on the other. So he's like, okay, solve the mystery. And, like, maybe this is what they wanted. I'm acknowledging them. This mm-hmm. is kind of giving me confirmation of, like, I bet this is who this is, all of the things. So once they acknowledged them and he told them it's okay to cross over, all of that, the sightings, you know, kind of became non-existent on them. Yeah. Then there's a lady named Mary Ball. I saw her name as Michelle Ball or Mary Ball, but it, like, everything I saw, it interchanged them. So I I was like, Paula Gertrude? Um... (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I don't know which one is right. And I wasn't going to beep, boop, 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 boop. Can you tell me if Mary Ball works there? You know? Yeah. Probably should have, but we're not an investigative team over here. Okay. No. She works at the house and she runs some of the tours. Well, she had an experience. And so she brought her son with her that day and he has autism spectrum disorder. And he's sitting on the bed And he doesn't know any of the stories about the house or anything. He just kind of felt it, like something was off, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he looked out the window, and he saw his dad standing out by the fire. And Mary said that he looked at her and was like, who is that angry Native American staring at daddy? What? Yeah. She said there was also one time that she came in 
And she was, you know, going to give a tour and all that, getting set up. And it sounded like there was hundreds of footsteps upstairs. So she was like, huh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go outside, take a little cigarette break, all of the things. Y'all have fun up there. So when she came back in, like, or was coming in, something came to the doorway and told her to get out. <gasps> like a feeling or she heard it? I don't know for sure. But I know she didn't, like, see anything. Yeah. So probably heard it, felt it, maybe, question mark, question mark. Okay. She also had one more experience where she saw a doll that was on the shelf in Mike Dandy's room. That was uh, one of their four children. Saw it. Then when she went out and came back in, it was sitting in the bedroom doorway. And no one had been in that room. Yeah. So it was like, uh, what the Annabelle is going on here? So, you know how you're like, you know where they need to be on and needs to be on portals to hell. Well, the Dandies experience, that was featured in 2006 on an episode of A Haunting. Okay. Love that. And then Paranormal Lockdown also did an episode in the house. And that's with Nick and Katrina. Mm-hmm. And but Katrina. Katrina's in Portals to Hell. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I couldn't yes. remember her name, but I thought it was Katrina. But I was like, just as soon as I say Katrina, that's not going to be it. Yeah. Well, so as soon as they entered the house, Katrina said she felt a very heavy presence and couldn't breathe. And Nick had like a choking sensation. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, they had like a spiritualist and a medium, Tim Shaw. He walked through the house and just kind of like, you know, giving them what he felt and all of the things. And he was like, do not sleep in that bedroom upstairs. I just have a bad feeling about it. The one that they call Mary's room. I was going to say the one with the bees. Mm-hmm. And while he's telling them this, Nick has to go out of the room because he is feeling nauseated. Oh, shit. Yeah. And Katrina was like, look, I've known Tim for a while and he would not say shit like this if he really didn't feel this way. Oh, yeah. He's not doing this for theatrics or anything like that. He's not the Dybbuk douche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then they go on and they meet with Tony Spera, who is a demonologist and just happens to be Lorraine Warren's son-in-law. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the Warrens did investigate this house, but it was before, it was like in one of the I think in between people, like it wasn't a big thing for them, but they were like, uh, something not right there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't one of their like big cases. I don't know why. So I really didn't oh, like mention it, but Tony called Lorraine up and she said, what I remember is that I could never live in that house. Like how it felt, I could not live in that. And there was one room and it felt Like, it choked me. Mm. And that is Mary's room. And that's where Nick was getting choked. You know, that same sensation. So over, like, the 72 hours, I mean, they were hearing things. They heard chanting, all of the things. And Nick was going to stay in Mary's room. That night, like, he couldn't. He, like, ended up moving his cot outside the door. Like, he just could not get settled or anything. Well... It's the end of it. And he's like hearing footsteps in the house. But 
more scary than anything, his mental state was like he was just confused and agitated. And again, this was, I don't feel like this is put on because they are more genuine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that because I don't know. Yeah. But it doesn't happen every episode. Right. And I mean, it could be from sleep deprivation because he hasn't been getting a lot of sleep this time because he's just been that agitated and everything. Well, they run like cameras and everything while they're asleep and all of the things. Well, when he was doing an EVP session, he didn't hear this, but doing a playback, he did. And it's a voice and it says, there's no heaven. (gasps) Yeah. And he's like, wait, what? Then Katrina, when she gets back, because she was in the woods with like the chanting and everything. Mm -hmm. She gets back and she's like, "Uh, Nick is very different. Like, what? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, even his eyes look different to her. Well, shit didn't stop there. After they left the Hinsdale house, Nick would often wake up out of his sleep at 3 a.m. And this was like right after they left that house. And he said he would just have nightmares. And it was always about a woman warning him about the Hinsdale house. Well, then Daniel, the owner of the house, he called and was like, um, I just wanted to let y'all know that we've been doing some EVP sessions and we've been getting voices and they're asking, where's Nick? What? Yeah. So Nick did like a spiritual cleansing and like, you know, he's trying to get rid of whatever followed him home or anything. Oh my God. And to protect his family. Holy shit. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap up with this. Daniel said that he felt called to this house and he felt called to save it. But like I've said, it was a total money pit and... And so, of course, he had his doubts, like, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. All of the things. But now that everything that has happened has happened, and, like, the paranormal community rallied around him and helped him and, you know, all of the things, he's like, you know what? I know it was meant to be this way. Yeah. He said that he was able to save and preserve this haunted history, and the Dandy family deserves to have their story told. One of the daughters from... The Dandies, she wrote a book and it's called Echoes of a Haunting. And that's where like everyone kind of learned about it and all of that. And the gawkers, the rubberneckers, all of that came from. So anyway, he's just like, you know, their story deserves to be told. And like they went through a lot of shit. And, you know, like if the house is gone, everything's gone. Yeah. And so he said, you know what? This is how it's meant to be. And just how the house spoke to him, it's now speaking to other people and other paranormal investigators. It calls them back. It, you know, it's Mm -hmm. that thing with Nick, how it was calling for him. Like, where's Nick? All of those things. And he said, the house has so much more story to tell. So are you willing to listen? I mean, I'll listen if somebody else tells it, but I'm not going to go listen. I'm not going to have a house be calling for me after I left like it did Nick. I kind of want to. I want to go. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's, that shit too real. <laughs> it's too much. Like, you know, like, you know how sometimes you're like, mm-mm. If they got fucking, like, Katrina and Nick freaking out, uh-uh. Uh-uh. 
It'd be one thing if Zach Bagans was freaking out. True. But fucking Katrina. <laughs> uh uh-uh. uh. I'm out. <laughs> oh my God. So not as heavy as your story. Thank fucking God, because my story was too much. My story was fucked up. Your story was fucked. Like, my stomach still hurts from it. I feel like we learned what we always learn, that people can be terrible human beings. It can be, like, society as a whole. Like, back in the day when they're like, she's not being Christian-like, and she's whatever. Or even in my story, she's a spinster. Gonna marry out of her class. Yep. And... So it can be, you know, like on the grand scheme of things, society, or your own fucking mother and brother. Like, you know what I mean? People can do terrible things. But on the flip side, you have your house with the current owners. And even though there's been allegedly so much trauma and hurt and death. It brought together the paranormal community, who you said is rallying behind them, and it's bringing out the good. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Which is what it's about. Balance. Yep. Well, y'all let us know. Y'all go into that house? Because I'm not. (laughs) But you know what I will do? What? Remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get get scared. scared.